Colorado and moved to Kansas. And he lived, moved out there to the plains and he built himself a house and he put in the house a real large window. Got the house all finished up and uh, some friends came over. They were talking about the house and one of them said, how do you like your view? And he said, you can't see anything. And a Kansan moved to Colorado. And he lived on those foothills. And he built him a big house. And built him a real large window in his house. Friends came over after the house was finished. And one of the friends asked him, he said, how do you like your window? Looking across there. And he said, you can't see anything. The mountains block everything. What we need to see is often right in front of us. Luke chapter 23 is where we're going to start. And today we're going to talk about the ladies, the faithful ladies, the strong ladies, the ladies that, man, what they went through, indescribable. And we'll begin reading in verse 50 of 23 where Jesus has now died, and he said those words, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And then we pick it up in verse 50. Now there was a man named Joseph from Arimathea. It's a Jewish town of Arimathea, north of Jerusalem. He was a member of the council, a good and righteous man who had not consented to their decision and action, and he was looking for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then he took it down and wrapped it in a linen shroud and laid him in a tomb out, tomb cut in stone where no one had ever been laid. This is a fulfillment of some prophecies. You have the, you have the fulfillment of a rich man's grave. Messiah would be buried in a rich man's grave. You also have the fulfillment of prophecy that it would be a tomb that had not been used. And so that is fulfilled when Jesus was laid in the tomb. Now, it says in verse 54, it was the day of preparation. Friday afternoon, the Jewish people would begin to prepare for their Sabbath. And of course, this being the Passover, there were extra preparations to be made. And so all the ladies that were at the cross and they saw the events of the cross, they followed Joseph to the tomb and they saw him lay Jesus in the tomb. They knew which tomb it was. There's no way they didn't know which tomb it was. They, whenever, you've, whenever you've laid a loved one in a grave, you know exactly where it is. It can be a huge cemetery, and when you later on, two or three years later, or however long it is, doesn't really matter. Every time you go, doesn't matter how many graves are out there, you know exactly where that grave is because... It's a special grave, first of all, and also it came, it's trauma to you. It's, it's difficult. There's, 
there's emotional attachment to that grave. I can go to the grave in Greenfield, England today, and I hadn't been in several years, many years now, and I can go right to that cemetery, and I know right where to go to see Caroline and Willie, my grandpa and grandpa in England. And they're surrounded by people that were buried in the 1700s. And I can go right there. I can go to the graveyard in Alabama, and I can go right there. I can go to the graveyard in San Angelo right now, and it's a big graveyard. And I can drive, and I can get out the right spot, and I can walk directly to where my dad is buried. These ladies knew the tomb. So all the people that say that, that uh, they went to the wrong tomb, there's no way in the world these ladies went to the wrong tomb. It didn't happen. They knew exactly where it was. And, and when they laid Jesus in the tomb, when Joseph put him in there, they saw the tomb, it says in verse 55, and how his body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and ointments. The spices were mixed with myrrh. Myrrh had a glue-like substance that would put all these other uh, ingredients together and hold them together. And they would rub myrrh and those other ingredients, other spices. They would take wood. And it's much like potpourri is today. You know, it's, it's, you get all these different things. You grind them up. You mash them up. You put them in a jar, and, and they add smell, aroma to the room. And so they would mix all this together. This is not the first time they've ever done that. This is not the first time they've ever been to a tomb and prepared the body. They were going to go. They were going to remove the stone the best they could, and, and they were going to make sure that the they managed the body. That's what they were doing. And so on that Sabbath day, as they prepared, they prepared the spices, and they prepared... Uh, the ointments that were going to be used. And then they observed the Sabbath. You see, these ladies are doing what they know to do. They are doing exactly what they need to do, and they are experiencing a grief that is without the resurrection. They haven't got there yet. Now, we know the story, and we've already gotten there, but at this particular time in their life, they hadn't gotten there yet. They didn't know about the resurrection. They didn't realize they'd heard about the resurrection. They didn't realize the words of Jesus and what he had been teaching them. They hadn't connected those dots. They hadn't made any sense to them. And if we were in their shoes, it wouldn't make any sense to us either. I mean, we, we, we do not have a whole lot of people coming back to life in our world. And so it would, it would go by them. They would understand perhaps a piece of this or a piece of that. And, and, but nevertheless, when they saw the tomb and, and they saw that tomb and they were grieving without the resurrection. Verse 20, chapter 24, verse 1. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared doing what they know to do. Think about the condition these ladies are in at this particular time. Doing what they know to do, prepare the spices, observing the Sabbath. This is what we do. Now, you know they're sitting around talking about what they've encountered, what they've experienced, what they've just witnessed with Jesus on that cross. And I, I can't help but think that based on what these ladies had witnessed, there had to be PTSD involved 
in, in this situation. First of all, the death of Jesus was sudden, and it was very much unexpected. Now, Jesus told them that he would be delivered over to the elders and that he would be killed, executed, and he would rise again. But they didn't catch that. You know what they had witnessed that week? They had witnessed, first of all, on Sunday before, the, the triumphant entry. When, when they walked down the Mount of Olives, people went nuts. They were yelling and screaming. They were shouting. They were just full of, you know, just they were exuberant about the coming of Jesus into Jerusalem. They had the palm leaves, and they're shouting out, Hosanna, glory to God in the highest. These ladies witnessed that. These ladies had seen that. And they had seen so much joy happen. And they went from Sunday with all that joy, and each day goes by, and there's a little problem here and there. There's a little problem here and there. There are words they're hearing. There's accusations being made. There's a political movement that's taking place. And from Sunday till Friday, their world changed. And not only did it change, but it ended in a violent crucifixion, a violent execution. And they never saw Jesus do anything wrong. They never saw him do anything wrong. How do you go from never doing anything wrong to being executed? Think about what, how traumatic that would be in your life today. If you know someone and you spend time with them and, and you know, you listen to them, you hear what they believe in, you hear what they do, you see what they do, you, you, how they deal with you, and, and, and they're just perfect. They, they don't say the wrong thing at the wrong time. They don't have, they don't have selfishness. They're not mean-spirited. They're not irritable. I mean, they, they got it all together. And then they accuse them of some crime that they have not committed, and not only do they execute them, but they beat them, and they torture them, and they spit at them, and they, they, they mock them, and, and, and they just tear them to shreds, and, and they execute him in front of everyone to see, and they execute him in a method that is the most horrific way of execution there is. It's not lethal injection. It's not even the electric chair. It's not even a gas chamber. All three of those would be better than the cross. If you put all three of those together, if you put hanging and, and the firing squad and the gas chamber and lethal injection and electric, if you put all that together, it's not as bad as the cross. And you witness all that. Man, that had to have been torturous. And they saw him die, and it had to be without purpose. It was unjust. It was brutal. It was unexplainable to them. And it was so traumatic. Grief without the resurrection is unbearable. I, I have said myself, and I've often said, at, at a funeral-type situation, when someone passes away and there's no Jesus involved, the people are hurting, they are suffering, they're grieving. I, I, I personally don't know how you do that. I don't know how you grieve without any hope at all. I don't know how you grieve without any possibility of resurrection. 
And these ladies are grieving like that. When we grieve without resurrection, there's shock. There's anger that often remains. It just, that anger gets so deep, bitterness takes over. People try to manage the death the best they can. Some medicate it, right? You've seen that? You probably know someone that probably didn't have a drinking problem until they lost someone really special to them. And after they lost that special person, they couldn't go to bed at night without drinking. Had to medicate it. Had to somehow or another calm down that pain and that sorrow before they could even sleep. Many people just go back to work. Many people say, stay busy, just stay busy. Do more, do more, do more. People develop addictions in that time. When they grieve without hope of the resurrection, when they grieve without the resurrection, they, they develop sometimes some real detrimental addictions. And along the way, some way, everyone that grieves without the resurrection they all develop, whether they realize it or not, they all develop a little sleep-at-night theology. You have to. you got to come up with some ideas. you got to come up with some beliefs that you can hold to that will carry you through. And one of those beliefs that people come up with through the years for a long time, for hundreds of years, thousands of years, people have come up with this to help them sleep at night after they've experienced a loss and there's no hope of resurrection, is everyone goes to heaven. Or they may not call it heaven, but everyone goes to a better place. Don't you hear that all the time? You know, I'm so sorry for your loss. At least they're in a better place. You know, you hear that over and over and over, don't you? You know, we may not really know what to say to people who grieve in the loss of a loved one, so we say, well, at least they're in a better place. And, and of course, if in that mindset... There's no awareness of the resurrection. And when they see the tomb, they see death. That's a very difficult thing to process. And so that sleep at night theology builds up in people, and, and there's a lot of avoidance. We avoid the, the, the subject of death. We avoid the loss. We don't talk about it. We, we find some phrases and some descriptions about the experience that we can somewhat handle and we can sleep at night with, and we only allow those thoughts to enter our minds. There's explaining away of any consequence in people's actions when we grieve without the resurrection. You just can't go there. You can't allow it to happen. You, you, get, you get a system of ideas concreted in your mind, and that's it. And then in life, many times, this is what takes place. Because you have developed these sleep-at-night beliefs, things that you can handle to some, to some degree, along comes the information about Jesus and about eternal life, and about heaven, and about consequences, and about judgment, and about hell, and you can't go there. You can't think about it. You can't allow yourself to even consider Jesus Christ as the Lord of all, and the resurrection, and all that he said, 
Because if you go there, then you're going to be forced to deal with your loved ones that are without the resurrection. Painful, painful, painful. One of the most difficult things to overcome in life is unresolved grief. Grief is powerful. Grief changes people. Grief can change people for the better, but normally, always, before the resurrection, in, what, in, in the graveyard that they see is one of death, it, it changes people for the worse. It burdens people. It harms people. It wounds people emotionally. It, it wounds people relationally. And oftentimes, it's got a lifelong, long last for all their lives. You probably have witnessed some people in your life. You think back to your family. You think back to loved ones. And you describe them. You remember them. And you think back when they were young, when they were in their teens, when in their 20s and 30s perhaps, man, they were so full of joy and so full of life and so excited and, and, and life happened for them. And they started to get in their 40s and started to get a little irritable. They got in their 50s and became kind of angry about things. They get in their 60s, and it begins to turn upside down. You know, they get a little older than that in the 70s and perhaps the 80s. And, and many times, people just become unbearable to be around. You know what's happened? They've lived life, and they've experienced great sorrow in their life. You see, usually, this is what happens in most of us. The longer we live the closer we are to death. It's like those concentric circles of sorrow. And, and the older you get, the closer you get to the inside, and the closer those circles are to each other, the more people that you know that you care about die. And if it's before resurrection, if there's no resurrection hope, it, it oftentimes is a sorrow that you can't get beyond and it causes the worst of things to happen in us. And, and, and I, I see these ladies here struggling getting to that tomb, especially with what we know about the cross and what we know about Jesus and what we know about what they've been through. My heart goes out to them. I just, people that go through this, my heart goes out to them because I've lost loved ones. I've had, I've had some pains happen in my life with the loss of really special people, and, and I don't know if we're going to be able to take a step, if we're going to be able to move forward. And that's how it is before the resurrection. Now, let's talk about grief with the resurrection. And one of the greatest benefits of the Lord Jesus in your life one of the greatest blessings for you, if you would believe in Jesus and if you would give your life to him if you haven't already done that, this is one of the greatest benefits that you can have beyond even salvation in some cases for now, but of course not for later. Grief with resurrection. It says in Luke 24, verse 2, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. It begins. It begins. 
I don't know how big that stone was. I'm sure it's not hard. I mean, it's not easy to move. The ones I've seen, they're not easy to roll to get started. I wonder if these ladies are going to the tomb and they're thinking what they saw. They've seen the tomb. They've seen the stone. They've seen the situation. And, and there might have been a little bit uneasiness about being able to even get to the body of Jesus. And when they arrive on the scene, the stone has been rolled away. Beginning of hope. Beginning of possibility. Not there yet, but it's beginning to build. Verse 3 but when they went in, they went in the tomb, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. Wow. Wow, what's going on here? They're perplexed. I'm sure the possibilities begin to grow a little bit, but they're perplexed. What are we seeing? What are we seeing here? What's going on? They haven't connected the dots yet. And, and, and so they see the stone rolled away, they see that the tomb is empty, and then they're confused about what they're seeing. And they say, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And I, I love that dazzling apparel. My mind goes to the disco ball. You know, I don't know what their clothes were made of. Maybe it had sequins all over it. Maybe it was just, you know... The light was coming off them, and there was dazzling. I don't know, but most likely they just were glowing from the Shekinah glory of God. They were angels that were there to be messengers. They rolled the stone away. They were there when Jesus rose from the grave. They saw it all, and there they are waiting for Jesus' people to come. And ladies... The first, the bravest, the most courageous of all the disciples were the ladies. They were the last to leave, and they were the first to show up. That's what we see happening here. And listen to what the angel said in verse 5. And as they were frightened and bowed their face to the ground, the men said to them, the angel said to them, the messengers, why do you seek the living among the dead? Why do you look for the living among the dead? Why do you come to the graveyard and you don't see life? What's going on there? That's what they said to him. Why do you seek the living among the death? And the, and the angel said to them, he is not here, he has risen. He is not here, he has risen. Let that sink in for a moment. He is not here, he has risen there's a resurrection. He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you. While he was still in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered because they saw it. Remember, they saw the tomb. And, and now they're seeing the tomb in a completely different way. They began to remember what Jesus said. Jesus said, you tear this down, you tear this temple down, in three days it'll rise back up. And that's what Jesus told us, and we're seeing it right now. Can, can you just imagine what's taking place in these ladies at this point? They've gone from just, oh, how are we going to survive? How are we going to move forward? 
What are we going to do? This is horrible. I mean, if they did that to him, what are they going to do to us? How in the world can we make it through? I don't, how's, how's the mom going to make it? How's Mary going to, how, how are we going to help her through these next several days? How are we going to help her with the grieving process? How are we going to give her hope and strength? How are we going to make it through here? And, and when they're in that tomb, and, and the tomb is empty, they're looking around, and there's, they're carrying the spices. Nowhere for the spices to go. The tomb is empty. He is risen. He is not here. And they begin to remember what Jesus has said. I, I can just picture the ladies look at each other, and, and there's just been sorrow, just just you know, just with their heads down and no one really saying a whole lot. And then all of a sudden, they start looking at each other and their eyes get bigger, you know. And, and the anticipation of possibility begins to build on their face. And maybe Mary Magdalene begins to smile. Mary, the mother of James the Lesser, maybe she starts going, hmm, what do we have here? What's going on? Could this be? Could this be? Do you think it could be? What about you? Do you think what's going on? Hey, y'all, what do you think about this? What are we seeing? This is not what we expected. This is not what we anticipated seeing this morning. We're seeing something really different here. And he told us that he would die and be rose again. Now, I didn't quite understand what that's going on, but is this what we're seeing right here? And, and this anticipation begins to build, and they remember the words, and they returned they return from the tomb. They, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others, to the rest. Now, it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. Matthew records that when these ladies left the tomb, they left with two emotions, fear and joy. Certainly fear, that perplexedness, right? That confusion would make you afraid of what you're about to take place. But the addition of joy happened, the addition of joy. And, and, and now we see that because of the resurrection, these ladies could have sorrow and joy at the same time. Sorrow and joy simultaneously. That changes everything. I mean, when you lose loved ones, you grieve, you hurt. I mean, the only way not to grieve in this life is never love anybody. When you don't love people, you won't grieve when they're gone. And, and you know, this idea of grieving well is not saying you don't grieve, it's an impossibility. Christians should grieve, but because of the resurrection, we grieve with joy. We grieve with hope. We grieve with anticipation because of Jesus Christ rising from the grave. Now, the rest saw these as idle tales. They need to see for themselves. They got to see Jesus, and that happens over the next many days. But Peter rose up, and he ran to the tomb, stooping in and look, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. You see, these ladies 
they went from how they felt to how things are. They went from feelings to truth. They went from subjectiveness to being objective about their situation. I don't know any other way, any other way to handle life other than the resurrection of Christ. I don't know how anyone does it without Christ. I don't know how you handle grief. I don't know how you ha handle sorrow. I don't know how you handle any despair whatsoever, any significant loss. I don't know how you do it without the empty tomb, without the resurrected Christ. And that's what these ladies saw here. So when you look at a graveyard, what do you see? Do you see death or do you see life? I had an experience with my dad before he passed away. Cut two or three years before he passed away. We went to Alabama. In, in my dad's uh, mind, this was his last trip to go back to Alabama. And sure enough, it turned out to be his last trip back home. Coffee Springs County, Alabama, Lower Alabama, L.A. And there we are in Alabama, and we went to that special graveyard. I did my aunt's funeral there this time last year, I think it was. He was at that graveyard. My dad wasn't there this time, of course. It's a neat graveyard. It's simple, it's, uh, but it's a graveyard where most of the people there are brewers. There's brewers, wheats, and mocks. And if you look at those farms all around that place, there's, there's riles, which is, I'm kin to a little bit, wheats and mocks, M-O-C-K-S, and brewers. There they are. We were there in October. And we're looking at the graveyard, and my dad's been down picking up a few weeds and doing those kind of things, and we're looking at it. And it's one of those cemeteries where everybody gives a little money every month and helps keep it up and those kind of things. You may have one of those in your family. And we're standing there, and there's a little bench not too far away from where my uh, grandpa and grandma are. And my dad's kind of walking around looking, and I just go sit down, and I'm taking it all in in October in, in lower Alabama. Let me tell you something. The cotton is six foot tall, and it is full of cotton balls. It's really beautiful. You got some pine trees in the background. You got all kinds of different kinds of trees here and there, but you just got hundreds and thousands of acres. If you can get up high enough to see it all, just of green leaves and white cotton balls. And man, I move spiritually. And, and I'm just going, wow, here we are looking at death and look at all the life. We're looking at death. We came here to see death. We came here to see their body. We didn't come here to see life. We've been seeing life all day long. And here we are, we show up in the graveyard, and we're just surrounded by all this life. And I said, Dad, come here. Let's talk about this for a moment. My dad, you know, comes on over. And a little bit like Joe Biden towards that time in his life. And so I had to really, I mean, I'm sorry to say that, but he, that's how my dad acts. There's no way he didn't have a problem. It's sad, really. And, and I'm explaining to him what I'm going through, and I'm saying, I said, Dad, listen, look at, look at all this life around here. And he goes, what do you mean, son? I said, Dad, all the cotton, not, not one man makes cotton. God did that. We can't make cotton. We can put the seed in the ground. We can water it, but not enough probably to make it work. We can weed it, but we can't make cotton balls. You can't will that to happen. 
You can't orchestrate that. God did that. Look at all the life that we're surrounded by. He goes, wow, to that. We're sitting here looking at death. and This graveyard is a symbol of death from our mindset. This can't be all there is. Because look at all the life. And the God that created all that life, there's no way in the world he's going to tolerate that this is all there is. It was a, it, for my dad as well, it was a rejoice. We talked about it for all the way home nearly, about the life that we saw. And I said, look, there's a cemetery, Dad, but look at all the life. Look, Dad, that, yeah, I started driving me crazy with that. Yeah, all right, son, I get it, I get it, I get it. But it was really special to me. And, and the reason why that can be, and I can see that, is because of Jesus and the resurrection. Jesus, without the resurrection, let's do the best we can. Don't do too many things that are going to harm you. Do the best you can. If that's the choice that you're going to make when you lose love in your life, I hope you hang on okay. But what it could be if you believe in Jesus and you accept him and you live for him and you begin to, to grow in him and your spirit gets stronger. You see, even for believers who are not growing and are not, their prayer life is not growing and they're not walking in the spirit when they lose loved ones, that is, there's no time to catch up and to be walking with the Lord and understanding him and, and have that Holy Spirit moving in your life. When you lose loved ones, you hurt. You have pain and you have sorrow, but you also stand in that graveyard and you say to each other, will you just look at all the life? I hope this Easter season you can experience that that tomb is still empty. Help us, Lord, to, to understand the strength and the power and the beauty of the resurrection today. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's first and foremost.